Hey guys, and welcome back to Call Her Doctor, a podcast for STEM students interested in pursuing advanced degrees. I'm Madison, a former pre-med, starting my medical degree in July of 2020. And I'm Natalie, a first-year PhD student in electrical engineering. Be sure to check out our previous episodes and subscribe so you never miss another. Welcome back. So we're still in the midst of this quarantine, corona crisis, stay-at-home order, you know, whatever everyone's calling it, um, which I'm sure has continued to take a toll on everyone. My week has been very, it's been a weird week. It's It's been like a very just like overall, honestly not productive week. I'm still not working, um, which again, not that mad about. Um, I know we advised against letting your sleep schedule get messed up in like our kind of like work from home tips episode. And my sleep schedule is an absolute mess right now. I'm like sleeping from like 3 a.m., 3 or 4 a.m. to like 11 a.m. noon. And it's just, it's an absolute mess. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, and I, this morning was my first attempt at getting it back on track. And Natalie, it was a hot mess. Like, (laughs) it was so bad. Like, I I woke up at 9.45. I woke up at 9.45, like, in a bad mood, exhausted at 9.45. <laughs> no, it's, it's, like, it's so bad. And, like, I keep trying. Like, I'll put my computer away at, like, midnight or 12.30. I'm, like, okay, like, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to go, like, watch an episode or, like, watch some YouTube and go to sleep. And then I'll open, like, Google Docs or Google Sheets on my phone and continue to work on stuff in bed until, <laughs> like, 3 a.m. And I... I just, yeah, I need to stop. So I just need to find a better way to be productive during like the daylight hours. So that way I'm not tempted to continue to do work until 3 a.m. when I like don't actually need to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I've like, I feel like my sleep schedule has been fine, but I've definitely been like working later than I told myself I would because I'm not as productive during the day as I need to be. But I think, yeah, when we recorded that work from home episode, we both were kind of under the impression it would be maybe a month or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at this point, I know like in Virginia, we have a stay at home order through like June 10th at this point. So that's like at least another full two months. So yeah, yeah, trying to settle in, but I've been trying to like get up and walk every morning, like can't bring myself to run, but I'm trying to go and walk. Yeah. So yeah, it's been something good. I guess like you, you also still have like school and meetings and stuff that you like have to do during the day, which I guess hopefully helps with some level of accountability. Yeah. I have none of that. I like, (laughs) it's kind of nice to not be working right now, especially because the doctor that I normally scribe for isn't using like our scribe service right now. So like if I did get put back onto work, I probably would be assigned to a different doctor for the time being. Mm-hmm. which I just really like my doctor. So I like, it's always just kind of like, uh, I get kind of disappointed when I have to switch to other doctors, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been nice, but I also would like to get back just to have some kind of like normalcy in my life. Cause online school starts back next week for my brother. My parents both are working like their normal jobs, just like from home. So I'm at this point, I'm the only one in my family on this whack schedule. <laughs> yeah and so it's yeah. just it feels weird like it's like oh I get hungry it's like no I feel weird like walking downstairs and going into the kitchen at 2 a.m because like who am I gonna wake up um <laughs> so yeah. yeah I just yeah. need to get back to normal maybe I'll make that my goal like starting Monday morning or something like that 
Yeah. I can tell like my lab group too, I think has kind of fallen into it because I like the other night was getting notifications until like 930 at night of everybody on like the project planning channel on Slack, like sending information and stuff. I'm like, why is this taking place? I mean, it was like the day before we had our design review meeting, but yeah, I'm like, why is this happening at 930 at night? Yeah. Didn't start until like 530 in the afternoon. (laughs) Well, what was your like highlight of the week? Highlight, highlight, highlight. Um, Honestly, I feel pretty good about like the workouts that I've been writing for myself this week. Like they've just been, I've been challenging myself a little bit more than I feel like I was the week before with my workouts, which has been good. Yeah, that's kind of, it seems small, but that's really it just because I haven't really had much to do this week. What about you? Well, yeah, so I'm like, I've just been walking every day and uh, I finally found like from my apartment, I'm at the corner of two like sort of busy streets where it's not like nice to walk down them because there's just cars going by but I found this neighborhood with like some really nice houses off of one of those streets Ooh. so I like have a cute like place to walk where I can just look at all the nice mm-hmm. houses and stuff Aww, um, so that's been nice yeah something to go do what's been what's been a low of your week low of my week I think just lack of motivation you know I think I like again planned for this to be a couple weeks at the most and uh it's just weird like I don't feel like I'm a PhD student right now even though I Mm -hmm. am like I'm not working as hard as I thought I would which is good in some ways like I'm glad I'm not like stressed out and overworked and stuff but at the same time it's like just not really what I expected I guess yeah Um, so yeah I guess I kind of went into grad school with like the motivation of like extending my student experience and working from home is not <laughs> student experience no, that I was not at all was hoping for. So yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, probably just the fact that either my sleep my sleep schedule is still messed up, or I just wasn't as productive this week as I wanted to be. Like I made a to do list for myself. Um, that's like labeled for March 28th and it is now March 4th, (laughs) April 4th, goodness. And a majority of those things on that list have not been completed. And like, I'm reasonable with myself when I make to-do lists. Like I don't list more than what I can get done in a given day. And here we are. I can't do math. Seven days later, six days later, something like that. And it's not done. So we're getting there. It's been like one thing per day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just wasn't as productive. So hopefully this week I'll make a more detailed schedule for myself and hopefully get back on track with that. Do you feel like you've found a good organization system since you like graduated? Because like I'm sure for school you had it like down, but like do you still uh, feel like you do? No, not at all. Um, Yeah. I think it's, I, I think that's mostly just because, like, everything takes a back seat to work right now, and, like, I f- forget how exhausting, for some reason, like, work is just so much more exhausting to me than school is, like, with school, I was overall, like, busier for more hours of the day, mm-hmm. but it was just, I don't know, I don't know if, like, emotionally or, like, mentally exhausting is the right phrase to use, but, like, sitting in front of a computer for, like, 10 hours a day for work drains me in a way that like being in classes lecture lab and studying all day did not um yeah so I mean I have an organization like 
I still keep all of my to-do lists, like have the one on my computer, the one on my phone, the one on my bullet journal. I guess I have an organization system. It's just that things aren't getting done. And I think also like, especially like I keep a lot of those things like at the forefront of my mind because whenever I'm working, I have sticky notes that I write on throughout the day with like stuff I need to get done. And I stick them like in the corner of my computer or like just around my desk so I can see like what needs to get done during the rest of the day. But because, especially the past two weeks, because I haven't been working, like I'm not seeing those things constantly. Um, And I'm also just like not on my phone that much. So like the list on my phone, I'm not seeing that much. Um, So no, I'm excited to get back to school though and like get back to like what I know works as far as organization and like being productive. I'm definitely still struggling. Like I'm sitting here in my room right now and there's just like four different piles of like random loose leaf paper notes <laughs> that I've taken. That I just oh, gosh. Need, yeah, I really need to I need like one notebook for like meeting notes and you know, mm-hmm. class notebook, but it's all just kind of random papers right now. So Yeah, that's the one thing I feel like I am like I'm pretty much I'm I'm a big neat freak. So like I guess the one throughout this whole thing is that like I've stayed very like my stuff is all still organized and like my room stays clean. Like I can't go to bed at night if my room is yeah, not like span yeah. span. And it's like the first thing I do in the morning, if like there's anything laying around is I like, clean it up. So um, that's the one nice thing, but yeah, there just hasn't been that much for me to actually try to organize, which I guess is also different between the two, yeah. of, the two of us. Cause you have a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Do you want to, should we get into the topic for today? Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about what you can do during undergrad to make yourself competitive for graduate and professional school programs. Um, So there's a pretty solid, I guess most people have a pretty solid idea of like the things that you, you know, quote unquote, need to get into good grad schools. Um, And those are things like good GPAs and good MCAT DAT, GRE, you know, whatever standardized test you have to take to get into your graduate program, good scores on those. Um, but those those numbers aren't the only things that the schools are looking for. So we're going to talk a bit about what else you can do to stand out from the rest of the applicants that might have your same, you know, GPA and test scores. I think part of this too is going to be like things that you can actually do as far as like activities to be involved in. And then some of it is going to be like how you portray that or like what your motivations for that should be and sort of how you like convey that in your applications. Yeah. And we can do like a whole other episode on like how to write your personal statement and how to talk about these things in interviews. Like that's a whole other um, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about a lot of those Um, in regards to the, you know, good GPA and good test scores those are things that are going to help you, but they're not things that are, I guess, a necessity to get into a strong program. Um, mm-hmm. it, it obviously helps. I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't suggest applying to graduate programs unless you have like one good thing or the other, if that makes sense. Like if both your GPA and test score are not competitive, I'd maybe wait and try to get one of those things to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, increasing a test score is, I think, easier than improving your GPA, especially, like, if you're in your senior year or if you've already graduated and, like, there's not a lot of, a lot more classes you can take unless you're wanting to do, like, a master's program or a post-bac for a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
but like I personally like did not have a competitive GPA coming out of undergrad, but I had a good MCAT score. So like I, but I studied really, really hard for my MCAT because I knew I had to offset my GPA. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have both to get in, um, but they are helpful. And I, I always felt like I had to prove myself in a ton of other ways to offset that GPA. Whereas like, if you already have the strong GPA and test score, maybe, I don't, I don't know. I've never been in someone's shoes like that, but maybe you don't feel like you need to prove yourself as much if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, this is sort of a classic time to see, like there's multiple ways to get where you want to go. So maybe if you don't have those strong, like test scores and a strong GPA or whatever, um, and you're thinking you're not going to get into like the specific program you wanted, if you're looking at grad school, like maybe you do your master's at like a smaller university and then get your GPA up there and then apply to your PhD at a bigger university. Um, or just look at, you know, are there other schools that sort of offer a similar degree program and maybe it's not the most competitive, but like, I think there's still options out there to get to like wherever your final goal is, even if it's, you know, even if you didn't come out of undergrad, I guess, like as competitive of a candidate as you wanted to. Yeah. And I think especially like, I feel like the, you know, your GPA especially is most important when you're coming like straight out of undergrad and applying to any of these programs. So if you're applying, you know, beginning of your senior year or like taking one gap year and applying straight at like right after undergrad. But, you know, the more time you take off, I feel like the more your experiences are going to be an important part of your application as compared to your GPA, right? Because like if you are taking like five gap years, I don't even know if we call them gap years at this point, but if you're taking five years mm -hmm. off between undergrad and wanting to go to grad or professional school, like how much does your GPA from five years ago really say about you? Mm -hmm. um, you could have grown a lot more as like a student and a professional in that time and your GPA wouldn't really not, not mean anything, but like it, I feel like it doesn't carry as much weight in that situation. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I think today we're going to kind of focus on like, if you are still in your undergrad and you have maybe a year or so left sort of what to be um, looking for so that you can like use the opportunities that you have now while you're still in school to set yourself apart. Yeah. And if you aren't already an undergrad or if you are like at the beginning of undergrad, I guess we'll kind of like list some things that are like a good idea to get involved in um, mm -hmm. just to start looking at your freshman year. Like these things, you don't need to necessarily be involved in them like all four years of undergrad. Um, but I, I think having like substantial experience in any of them is going to be helpful, like enough to say that like, you were like truly involved. Like so not just something that you like, oh, I volunteered at this twice, like something that you want to, you know, show longevity in whatever you were involved yeah, in. Yeah. Well, do you want to um, start with some med school things? And I think some of these are going to be like shared between, you know, med school and grad school, but we could start yeah. with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so med schools, um, obviously you have, you know, your good GPA and your MCAT score. So some med schools do have like a standard GPA that like if you don't have above that GPA like they won't even look at your application. That's normally like above a 3.0 or like a 3.2 which I mean I'll admit it I had under a 3.2 in undergrad. Um, I was just like right on the cusp so I don't, I don't know if that's I don't like mean to be discouraging but like shoot for like a good GPA like you don't need to have a 4.0 
Um, and like the thing is like the schools aren't necessarily looking for the 4.0 and 528, which is a perfect score on the MCAT. Like they're not looking for those students with the perfect statistics. Um, but they also are looking for a competitive MCAT score. Um, I would aim for like, I mean, so 50th percentile I, on the MCAT, I think is something like, it should be like a 500, 502, something like that. Definitely shoot for above 50th percentile on your MCAT, but um, over 510 is definitely like what's considered like to be like very competitive. Um, you can improve your MCAT score by studying for a longer period of time or taking a prep class. I personally did Princeton Review and I really enjoyed it. Um, but more than like those statistics, they're really just looking for a well-rounded student. You know, when you become a physician, you're going to need to work with other doctors, other healthcare professionals. You're also going to need to be able to communicate thoroughly and clearly with your patients. Um, so you want to be involved in things that show that you are, I guess, kind of strong in a social aspect. Um, so they're not looking for the student with per perfect statistics that hold up in the library 24-7. That's not what they want. Um, so you want to show evidence that you can communicate with other people really well and also evidence that you can work well with the team. Um, so for me, that experience was being part of a sports team in college and having a leadership role on that sports team. Um, that leadership role for me meant that I knew how to communicate with, I guess, all of the other you know, people on the team that weren't in leadership roles and I could be a strong leader without um, kind of stepping on any toes and being too harsh. But it also meant that I could work well with the other officers on that team and produce a strong result in the end. And so that's something that I mentioned in my application and also was able to talk about in interviews. Um, I also would recommend doing things that you're actually interested in uh, when you're trying to get these kind of this kind of involvement going so for me like I swam my entire life both of us did um, and so it wouldn't have been I guess I wouldn't have been able to talk about it as much it wouldn't have been as clear Ugh, I don't know how to phrase this properly but like I would like I wouldn't have been able to speak as strongly on it had I not been involved in something that I like really enjoyed and was passionate about so whether that's a sports team or like a theater group or, you know, whatever it is, find something that you really enjoy doing and then look for leadership roles there where you are having to work with other people. Um, they're also looking for clinical experience slash like volunteer experiences. Um, you can get a lot of those by being an MA, um, which most clinics require that you have kind of like a certificate to become an MA. But you can do that by being an MA, scribing, by shadowing doctors. Um, there's a ton of ways to get that clinical and volunteer experience. I know a lot of the university hospital systems have opportunities for undergraduate students to volunteer in the hospitals in different departments. So definitely look into that if you are at a big university that has its own hospital system. Um, so outside of those kind of like, I guess, things that you can like put on paper, um, they're also looking basically just like for you to be to show like strong character. So they're looking for resilience. Um, when things got hard, they're looking for improvement. So like I said earlier, my GPA wasn't that competitive during undergrad. But one thing that I did show during undergrad was that my GPA had the potential to improve. Um, and so after that, like one, I guess, really bad semester that I had 
second semester of my freshman year, my GPA improved every single semester after that. Um, it didn't get, like, it wasn't where I wanted it to be until, like, the beginning of senior year, but I did show improvement and that I could change my habits and learn from my mistakes and work harder to get to where I wanted to be. So that's really what they're looking for. Um, and so then I also mentioned leadership experience in some of the things you might be involved in. You can also get leadership experience in um, kind of your academic endeavors by being a TA, which is a teaching assistant, by being a peer mentor for your classes or being a supplemental instructor. Um, and those are also really good ways to get stronger in a subject. So when I was, right after I took the first level of anatomy and physiology, I took that fall of my junior year. And I knew I was taking my MCAT right after junior year. And I said, okay, I really want to, you know, keep my strength in this topic. How can I do that? And I was like, let me just be a peer mentor for anatomy and physiology. That way I have to continue to know it well enough to be able to help other people with it. And that way, like, I don't lose any of that information that I gained. And so it's good leadership experience, shows that I can communicate well with people. And I also got to, I guess, kind of like retain my knowledge of the information really well. And now... I know all of anatomy and physiology in and out, and I don't think it'll ever leave my brain. Um, so one other thing that you can do that most schools don't require, but it definitely don't, won't hurt your application is research experience. Um, so for me, I needed to do research during undergrad um, because I needed a job basically. And it was, that was, I guess, kind of for me, like the most logical option. It was, okay, I'm still getting to learn and do science. And I'm also getting research experience and I'm getting paid for it. Um, so for me, I didn't have as many shadowing hours and clinical hours as the typical, you know, pre-med does. But I offset that by being in lab for like 10 hours every week, which for me, like, I also think that was really helpful for me in learning that I didn't want to pursue a PhD or an MD PhD and then I wanted to go strictly MD. The research experience also shows really good communication skills, critical thinking skills, and in some situations leadership skills. So if you're struggling finding the clinical experience opportunities, definitely look into research. What about you, Natalie, for grad school? Yeah, so I think it kind of depends on like what degree program you're going into um, and then what your like field of study is. But basically, like with grad school, there's usually an MS, which is a master's of science, or for engineering, we have like an ME, master's of engineering, and then there's the PhD. And the big difference is like, I guess with a MS degree, you're doing, it's, you know, usually two years and you do a little bit of research, but with a PhD, it's usually four to five years um, and you're very research focused. So you take classes for two years, but you're also um, more focused on research. And so I think for grad school versus like finding a job in industry, the main thing is the research potential is what they're looking for. And obviously like having good grades and a good GRE score are important. Um, but I know like because they're so focused on research, like they, I think would rather have people who are, you know, have re a research background um, than someone who just does well in their classes. So research potential or like demonstrated research potential, I know is one of the things that like NSF looks for in their fellowship applications and stuff. Um, and I think a good way to show this is getting involved in undergrad research, whether that's through like an REU, like a summer program, 
um, or if it's just asking a professor at your school, you know, telling them you're interested in their research and asking if they have like an opening for an undergrad student. And we can do a whole, you know, we can talk about like how to ask for that as well. But then with that, beyond just doing the research, and I think it depends per field because some fields it's easier to publish um, than others. But if you can get a publication out of your research experience, um, which basic, basically means you do enough research to come to some conclusion and then you, you know, write a paper about that and submit it to a conference or a journal um, and have it be accepted. And um, that's a really, you know, that's like a very concrete way to show that not only do you know how to do research, but you also know how to communicate it and you understand the process of doing the research, writing the paper getting the publication um, because honestly grad school comes down to publications like that's sort of the goal that's how you demonstrate that you're good at doing research um, and so if publishing isn't really like an option for you another good option is doing like poster presentations and stuff usually universities will have like an undergrad research symposium and things like that um, where you can take your research and you just put it into a poster and give a presentation um, and that's another like really concrete way to say, not only did I just participate in research, but I actually like did enough to get to this point where I could present on it. Um, so I think that's really important. And then another thing I have is like outreach and leadership or just something that goes beyond yourself. That's another thing I think that NSF highlights that um, grad schools are also interested in is seeing like if you're part of their community, are you going to take what you're doing and make it stretch beyond yourself, whether that's with just like general STEM outreach or if it's, you know, with trying to expand your research to have an impact on other people and things like that. So I think that's really important. Another one is just being able to communicate your motivation for why you want to go to grad school. And that's maybe something that we can talk about more when we talk about applications and like writing your personal statement. But if you're like, if you, you know, put your application together and you basically want to go to grad school because you don't want to find a job yet, um, that's like not going to look so great. Like you should be interested in grad school because you're interested in research, not just because, you know, you don't want to go and get a job yet. Um, because it is like that really does set you on a path towards doing primarily research work. Another thing you can do as an undergrad is applying for smaller grants or scholarships. And so I know with my undergrad university, we had like an undergrad um, research fellowship, which was, I think it was like $1,500 to go towards your research. And they just basically give that money to your undergrad research advisor. Um, to be used on your project, but what that shows is that you know how to put together an application and put together a research plan because when you apply for these grants, you have to have a research plan. And so it shows that you know how to like put one of those together and again, just sort of demonstrates that you understand what research is and the process that goes into that. Um, and then I think that and scholarships are just, and like other awards, are a really easy way to sort of summarize some of the other things you've done, um, especially if you're, you know, tight on space and trying to communicate everything you've done. If you have an award for outreach, then maybe you don't have to touch as much on like all of the outreach experience you have because 
you want an award for that. So that sort of demonstrates, you know, those other categories. And then another thing, I'm sure Maddie, this is the same for like med school as well, but is letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically from people who do research, I think is important for grad school. So like if you had a job during undergrad, like I worked as a lifeguard and I, you know, was employed at the pool the whole time during my undergrad and my boss was, you know, my boss liked me and was willing to write recommendation letters, but she, you know, wasn't involved in engineering research at all. And if I'm trying to go beyond just demonstrating that I'm, you know, show up for work on time and things like that, and I'm trying to really demonstrate my research potential, even if it's not someone that you did research with, asking a professor who has a research background to write your letter of recommendation, I think is a little bit more impactful. And then another thing, and I think this is kind of where like professional school and grad school are a little bit different, and this depends too on the program you're applying for, but contacting your advisors or your like potential advisors early on. So I guess sort of the typical application cycle is you would apply in the fall, you get accepted in the spring and you kind of do interviews and stuff like that and then get placed um, in a lab. And having, if you contact some professors that you're interested in working with the summer before all of that starts and just sort of see, do they have space in their lab? Are they interested in taking in someone new? Um, And if you can sort of build that relationship a little bit, I think that can help too, because then by the time you apply, they're looking for your application as well. And this is something that I didn't do, so it's definitely not necessary, because I know I was kind of overwhelmed by the whole application process. And I also graduated um, in December. So in the semester that I was trying to put all my applications together. So this was one of those things that just sort of fell off the radar. But I think, especially if you are coming with, you know, not as strong of a GPA or something, if you can communicate to a potential advisor why you want to be there, why you're interested in their research specifically, I think that can also be really helpful because that helps them see beyond your lower GPA. And then the last thing is just continuous improvement. Um, I know Maddie touched on this too, but if you don't have that strong GPA, if you can at least show an upward trend, and not just in your grades, but in your involvement and stuff. So if you weren't involved as a freshman at all, or you're not currently involved in anything, um, that's fine. But just from now on, try to sort of demonstrate that upward trend and like, you know, increasing your, I guess, your impact, your grades, your involvement, your um, overall, like, demonstrating more interest in your field and things like that, too. Yeah, um, I'm going to touch on one thing that you mentioned that I didn't really talk about that much, which was letters of recommendation. So for grad school, you were talking about getting letters of recommendation from people who do research. Mm -hmm. Um, For med school, you kind of want a solid mix. so my letter writers for med school, I had four. One was my research advisor, who was my research advisor for three years. One, I had one joint letter between, it was like, you know, the leaders in my scholarship program who were also advisors to me, like, I guess more like some more so like personal and other academic advisors to me during college who I was really close with. And then I had the professor that I was a supplemental instructor for, and then one of my other professors who I just, I'd had for a couple of classes and performed well in those classes. And basically the reason I chose those four, technically five writers, but you know, whatever, 
I chose those because I wanted people that could speak to different aspects of like my character and my strengths. So, you know, the, the professor that I chose that I simply had for a couple of classes, basically like I knew that he could speak to my academic strength and that I had him for like my advanced classes, you know, junior, senior years, so, like hard classes that I performed well in. My research advisor had kind of been with me from the beginning, so could speak to my whole like experience with like when I got the concussion and then also how I bounced back from that academically and also in research and also was able to speak to how hard I was working in the lab and like kind of how committed I was to that. The professor that I was a supplemental instructor for his lecture, I'd had him for, I'd also had him for three classes that I performed well in like not like great, not perfect in all those classes, but like performed fairly well in all those classes. But he also knew that I had strong leadership skills and strong communication skills. And then my advisors that I had write the letter for me were able to speak a lot about my character. So I felt like it was important to have people that could talk about those different aspects to me rather than someone who just has like all professors that, you know, they've performed well in their classes, but don't necessarily know that much about you as a person. And like, they can't really talk about the other aspects. So I would definitely start looking for letter writers, not super early, like not maybe your freshman year, but by like sophomore year, junior year, start thinking about like, okay, who have I taken like a lot of classes with? Like, who knows me really well? And also just think about people that you want to get to know a lot better that you think could be like good potential letter writers. Another good option at a lot of schools is your pre-med or pre-health advisor. We really didn't have a pre-health med advisor, like a consistent one, at least during my time in school, which is why I didn't go that route. Um, But that's another really good option for you guys. Yeah. And I think especially even if you're like six months out from needing a recommendation letter, now is the time to start building those relationships. So go to office Mm -hmm. hours, do those kinds of things. And Maddie was saying, like, if you are potentially looking at having all all professors write your recommendation letters, make some of what you're doing outside of just your classes known to them. So if you are, like, actively involved in outreach or you, you know, have won awards through student organization, like, make that known to them. And then when you ask for the letter of recommendation, ask them to include those things specifically so that you don't have the same letter from three different professors, you know, give them specifics to talk about too. I think that definitely strengthens the letters. Yeah. I will also say a lot of the professors, they will ask you, it it, it depends too, but a lot of them will ask you for like, a lot of them have a form that they like their students to fill out before they're willing to write letters just so that like they have more information on you. Even if they know you super well, some of them might still have you fill one out. Two of my letter writers had me fill out a form, even though like both of them knew me really, really well. So um, a lot of that, it's basically just kind of like a, why do you want to go into what you want to go into? And you know, what's your greatest strength and weakness? And you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I started thinking about that. I started thinking about my letter writers mm, kind of ha- mm, middle of like fall semester, junior year. I knew I wasn't going to apply till after senior year, but I was like, if I'm going to start getting involved and getting to know professors now, then I was like, then this is um, kind of what I need to start thinking about. And so like for me, it was like, planning to take classes with certain professors so that I would have had the professors that I'm asking for for more than one class like there were a couple of writers that like I knew I was going to have like I knew I was going to have my research advisor write me one because I'd been working with him at that point for two and a half years Um, I knew I was probably going to have my advisor slash advisors write me one Um, 
and so then it was like, okay, then I, when I decided I wanted to become a supplemental instructor and peer mentor, I was like, okay, like that's, he's had me for a few classes. And like, if I, if I'm a good, you know, peer mentor, then like, hopefully he'll write a letter for me. And then, then it was like, okay, if I want one more, like what's another professor that I can still, that I still have time to take multiple classes with so that they, they can get to know me um, rather than just asking kind of like a random professor that you've only had one class with. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you should really focus on building those relationships because the letters are going to be so much better with those people. Yeah. And if you have a professor that, like, you say you had them your freshman year and you're like, oh, I think I want them to, you know, write one of my letters, but, like, say they only teach, like, intro-level classes and you're not going to have them again um, throughout undergrad, like, be sure to maintain that relationship. So, like, you know, email, if you, you know, you say you have that professor at some point your freshman year, like, pop into their office, like, a couple times a semester throughout the rest of your years and just, like, check in and say hi, let them know what's going on in your life. If, you know, if they're not around their office a lot, like, you know, an email exchange is also fine. Um, But definitely, like, be sure to keep in contact with them. Don't just, like, have them for a class your freshman year and then just, like, pop back in three years later, like, hey, can you write me a letter? Like, no, you want to, like, maintain the strength of those relationships. So... Natty, what are some of the leadership experiences you had and what was sort of your motivation at the time for like taking those or how did you think they were going to help you get to your goal? Yeah. Um, So none of mine were actually like really related to, I wasn't like when I kind of took those on, I was never like, oh, this is going to look good on my application. I did them because I wanted to do them, um, which I think is, I, I don't think it's wrong to use like having something on your application as your motivation, but I definitely think it helps more if you're doing it because it's something you truly want to do. So I was an officer on my club swim team my freshman year of college. Freshman year, gosh, that, no. Uh, My sophomore through junior year of college, like we did it by the calendar year, not the school year. So like middle of sophomore year through middle of junior year. Um, And so basically that just... I'd wanted a leadership role on the team ever since I joined the team beginning of my freshman year. And I don't know, it was just, it was a group of people that I really enjoyed spending my time around. I really cared about everyone on the team. I wanted to make sure that the team continued to be successful. And I felt like I was a good, like a good fit to make sure that happened. I just, I trusted in my leadership skills, my organization, my organizational skills. It's one of those things where like, it drives me absolutely insane when things aren't running smoothly and things were running smoothly like before, but we just, we re-elect new officers every year. That's how things work. And so I felt like at that position with like everyone that could have been running, I was like, I'm the only, this is a sound bad, but I was like, I'm the only person right now that I trust to ensure that like, at least in the role that I was, that I took on, like I was the only person that I trusted to make sure that that went smoothly. And like, I just felt like my motivation for it and my focus was right if that does that make sense that makes sense I just really wanted to make sure like the team continued to see success as far as like recruiting you know incoming students and performing well at you know the national meet and you know financially that we were doing well so like that was my motivation for doing that and then it was also just a more of an opportunity to spend time with people that I really enjoyed spending time with because the rest of the officers that year were like some of my closest friends um, so I, we just, we all worked really well together. We never had any like drama or riffs. Like I just knew we all worked really well together. And I knew that like all of us together would mean that the team was going to be really successful. And 
we were that year. So that was great. Um, so that was leader, being leadership on swim team. What else did I have? I feel like the next big one is probably when I was a peer mentor for my anatomy and physiology class. So basically like that means you take the class, you know, your one semester, you perform well in it, and then you you have the class on your schedule the next semester and you're in the classroom because um, we have UNC is full of massive lecture halls. So like you're in like a 250 person lecture hall and obviously the professor can't help every single student. And so we are there to answer any questions that the students might have in lecture than outside of lecture. So we're in all the lectures. And then we also host a one hour like office hours every week um, for students to just come to. So I think there were like 10 of us that were eight to 10 of us that were peer mentors for each section of the class, um, which works out for 250 students. And so then after being a peer mentor for two semesters, I became a supplemental instructor, which basically means that instead of hosting like the specific office hours every week, um, I hosted an extra lecture each week. Um, so there's two supplemental instructors per class section. Uh, it's actually, is it per section or is it like for the whole course? I don't know. Um, I think it's for the whole course. There's two supplemental instructors instructors for like all of the sections and basically like each of us hosted an extra lecture each week reviewing and basically just reteaching in lecture format um, what happened so that basically just entailed like preparing powerpoints and figures and knowing you know what the test review looked like for all the students and what all their homework questions were and being able to answer all of those specific questions for them so I did that um, my last semester of college and then I was also a chemistry TA summer before my senior year um, for incoming freshmen. They had like a chemistry workshop. And so I did, I was a TA for that class. So that's okay. all my leadership experience. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I guess through all of those, I learned that I really, really liked teaching, um, which is something that I'll hopefully go into towards like the end of my career. Like, once I'm like done practicing full time, or if I like at some point want to switch to like practicing part time and teaching part time, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think it's funny because like you're very focused on teaching, and I think I was more focused on like wanting to sort of have like the project management side of things, um, and because that's where I always like, you know, I want to be technical, but that's the part that's kind of exciting to me. Um, is a little bit more on the management side. That's not accurate. I don't want to like manage people. I want to manage projects. But anyways, so I like most of my leadership stuff was with SWE. So I was like the outreach coordinator. And then that sort of turned into like, we called it VP of programs. So I did like all of the um, outreach. I helped schedule a lot of like our meetings and host workshops and stuff like that. Um, and then that also included like training new officers and some stuff like that. And I think my motivation there was mostly just like I had seen a big SWE section and seen like how much SWE had to offer its members and stuff. And so that's, I just wanted to be more involved. And I also saw it as a way to gain like professional experience in the sense of like they have a ton of committees and stuff that you can serve on at like the national level. And so I saw that as a way to 
gain that experience like parallel to my technical training I guess and then as that sort of went on and like especially as I started to look at applying for the NSF grant or fellowship um, and they're very focused on like broader impacts it was clear that like that was going to fit in well because it was focused on like keeping more women in engineering and making sure that they had access to resources and stuff and then my senior year we have like a senior design which I think is pretty common in engineering you have like a capstone project um, and so I we had a project manager for each of those teams and that was another time where I was like this would be a good time to learn about how to put a budget together and how to do you know how to do the schedule and um, running meetings and like that kind of like a way to grow my I guess professional experience while still you know learning all the technical skills so that was sort of my motivation there and then I think um, I think it depends on the program but I think I knew I wanted a program that was still focused on having some you know project management focus and not just like just technical research but I wanted to be in a program that valued communication and things like that and so I knew that like using those as a way to sort of differentiate myself would also help me identify programs um, that valued that and that I was sort of looking for. All right, so one other thing I want to talk about before we sort of wrap up um, is a way to sort of keep track of everything you've done as you've gone through your undergrad, because especially if you've been super involved since freshman year, there's a lot of stuff you've done that, you know, when you're uh, even like applying to grad school, your resume is going to be longer. I know with like career fairs, they say keep it to one page. Um, grad school is not the time for that. You should, I think my resume was almost three pages when I applied to to grad school. Um, so this is the time to like put everything on there. Um, and so over the years, as you updated your resume for career fairs and stuff, um, things might have rolled off the bottom that you've forgotten about. And so one of the, something I heard about at a conference one time that I think is such a great idea is the love me binder. And I think people use it in different ways, but the way that I sort of heard about it or the context I heard about it in was sort of all of your accomplishments, you put them in a single place, whether that's like, I think mine was in the form of like a running resume, but for some people that could be like printing out the certificates and things like that and keeping them in an actual binder. But just every little thing you do, like if you volunteer one time at an outreach event, put that in a running resume somewhere or your binder, however you're keeping track. Um, if you get a small award at a conference or something, like keep that certificate, make note of that, keep track of it. Because when you get to the end of the four years, if you haven't kept track of this stuff, like it's going to be very, very difficult to go back and remember everything you've done. Um, especially things like if you at an internship and you got like a most valuable player kind of award at your internship that's something where you might just forget it because it didn't really fit on your resume for your next application um, but then as you're you know going through and putting everything on your grad school resume that's something you would want to include so definitely just as you're doing all of these things in order to make the most of it it's important that you keep track of all of it um, and it's also just a good boost to like when you are starting to apply, especially if you don't have, you know, the test scores or the GPA or whatever to go back and be able to look at all of the things that you've accomplished over four years or five years or however long it took. Um, and just being able to like go back and look at that and sort of remind yourself of everything you've done and the work you've done to self set yourself apart. Yeah, no, I 100% 
100% sorry would recommend doing that I didn't know that was like a thing or like what it was called but there I was pretty good about keeping up with like my accomplishments and then there was like a year-long period where I just didn't write anything down and when I was working it was actually more not so much for my college or for my med school applications but it was when I was trying to build my resume and apply for jobs this year I was like there's definitely a lot of stuff missing and like I'm walking around the house like mom what have I done (laughs) and I like she I mean she remembered better than I did but um yeah, just every time, just find somewhere to write it down. It doesn't have to be formal. Just yeah, keep it all yeah. somewhere. And write down when you got the award or when you started the job or those yes. kinds of things, too. Yeah. Well, we hope that this was helpful and that this gives you all some tangible things to sort of focus on as you go through your undergrad and as you're you know, getting ready to apply for med school or grad school or some other kind of professional school. Um, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll chat with you guys in next week's episode. Hi guys, thanks so much for listening to Call Her Doctor podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at callherdoctor.podcast where we share more tips and tricks and answer questions. For more information, be sure to check out our personal blogs at themjdiaries.com and sheengineered.com. You can find the links in the show notes. We would also love it if you would head to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review so we can get this podcast out there to more people and continue to grow the Call Her Doctor podcast community.